Undaunted Life A Man's Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. That's Job 4.8. Guys, before we get into today's content, got a couple of announcements for you. Guys, we got our t-shirts still on sale, t-shirts and rash cards, because I know you're trying to think, what am I going to get for all those important people in my life for Christmas? And you, because you're also an important person, you need to get yourself an Undaunted Life t-shirt. I am wearing it right here on today's show. If you're only listening to this, I promise you that is what I'm wearing. So you can go to our store and get that. The link to that will be in the show notes. And also, I want you guys to keep Undaunted Life in mind as you're thinking about your end of year giving, because as I've told you a lot before, we've given away everything basically for free. I mean, we do sell the t-shirts. We don't make much off of them, but all the content that we've given out on the podcast, on the devotionals, it's all been given out there for free, but we can only do that because we have donors that are helping equip other men to push back darkness. So please keep us in mind. That is also in the show notes on daunted.life backslash donate. But we need to get into a subject today, which is not very fun or very happy to talk about, but it's something that we talked a little bit about with Ephraim Matos last week. So Ephraim Matos was actually in Waukesha, Wisconsin, when the deadly attack took place there. And so if you're not really up to speed on kind of what happened there, we can't go into all the details because we got a lot of ground to cover. But on Sunday, November the 21st in Waukesha, Wisconsin, Daryl Brooks drove his Ford SUV through a Christmas parade, killing six people as of now and injuring more than 60 others. So the five people uh, that died initially died there on the scene. And I will read those people's names because a lot of people are, are forgetting about them and all this, but it's Tamara Durand, 52, Wilhelm Hospital, 81, Jane Coolidge, 52, Leanna Owen, 71, and Virginia Sorensen, 79. And then one of the other victims passed away just a few days later. Uh, it was actually not that long ago. And that was an eight-year-old named Jackson Sparks. Um, and I think uh, one child is actually still in critical condition. And so they're, they're basically fighting for their life right now. So the death toll could go up from six, but it is currently at six. Now, guys, when this mass murder took place, Daryl Brooks was out on $1,000 bail. Okay. He was out on $1,000 bail after running over his baby mama. That this was just earlier that month. He ran over his baby mama with the same car that he plowed through the Christmas parade, right? And he also ran over her after that he after he had basically cursed at her and punched her in her face. Okay. Now the Milwaukee County DA, John Chisholm, which we'll talk more about him later, he admitted that Brooks's bail was set inappropriately low. He used the phrase inappropriately low, like no crap, right? But he set it inappropriate low inappropriately low, not just in light of that crime that he committed, trying to run over someone with his car, you know, the mother of his child, but this guy had a rap sheet like a, a mile long and his rap sheet started 22 years ago and included in his rap sheet, you have reckless endangerment, felony bail jumping, battery, obstructing an officer, disorderly conduct, statutory rape of a minor. He's actually a registered sex offender for that felony possession of a firearm, domestic violence, cocaine possession, resisting arrest, and on and on and on and on. So whenever he tried to run over his baby mom with his car, that was just the latest installment of him being a colossal piece of crap, right? Daryl Brooks, has since been charged, you know, after all this went down, he was, he was basically apprehended almost immediately. He's since been charged with five and soon to be six counts of first degree intentional homicide and his bail. Yes. His bail has been set at $5 million. Okay. So you might be thinking to yourself, wow, he went from a thousand dollars bail to $5 million bail. I guess the DA there has kind of learned his lesson. You do realize that they don't have to give someone bail. You can be held without bail. And I'm assuming a mass murderer that killed six people and intended to kill way more than that 
for a very particular reason, which we'll get more into here in just a second, that that would be a very good case to make somebody not even eligible for bail, right? You would think so. But guys, I want you to stick around until the end of the show because I'm going to go into why I think Daryl Brooks actually did this and what we can learn from the situation. But I want to first get into kind of the immediate reaction from the media. So I remember whenever I first saw this, I was scrolling on Twitter or something Sunday night and I saw a video or a video camera. It looked like it was just kind of a stationary camera. And then I see this SUV, this maroon SUV just kind of blow past the camera and it was in the middle of a parade, obviously. And so what I initially thought when I saw that was, oh my gosh, some old person maybe was, was driving and didn't really know what they were doing. And they drove way too fast right next to these parade people. And or I, I thought that there might be a police cruiser, you know, right behind that person in the video. And so that was the only thing that I saw. And then I basically put my phone down and didn't really you know react to it again until the next morning whenever I saw what had actually happened and you know that was just the first video that I saw but there was a flare-up immediately in the media and with good cause I mean all over the world you had people kind of tuning in and seeing what was going on in Waukesha Wisconsin what was going on on the ground but then something changed almost immediately within just a day or two of this happening the media kind of stopped talking about it and I'm talking about the mainstream media. Obviously, there's been other outlets that have been talking about it. But the whole narrative just went away. We're not talking about it anymore. We've moved on. Someone drives their car intentionally through a crowd of people trying to kill them, kill six of them, maybe more, as time goes on. We're not talking about it anymore. Interesting. Rather interesting. Way more on that here in a second. Now, there were a lot of reactions from all over the world about this. There were some pretty dumb ones and some ones that I feel the need to point out. So AOC, who literally is one of the smartest people on planet Earth, right? If you ever insult Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's you know, intellect and ability to, to work with her brain and to establish herself as one of the great intellectuals on the planet, you, sir, are a horrible person if you think that. So she actually released a, an incredibly tone-deaf statement one day after the killings in Waukesha. And I just want to read this because she released it with some other members of Congress that no one knows. But let me go ahead and read what she said here. Again, this is within one day of what happened in Wisconsin, this guy being out on $1,000 bail. So this is what she said, quote, we have grave concerns that excessive bail amounts are leading to unnecessary pretrial detention and contributing to a humanitarian crisis in New York City's jail system, particularly on Rikers Island. 14 people have died this year in the custody of New York City Department of Corrections, condemning thousands of individuals to languish in an environment plagued by persistent overcrowding and mounting violence as they await trial is not acceptable and risks violating the federal civil rights of these individuals. If these conditions are not addressed, federal intervention may be necessary to protect detainees from additional harm, unquote. So one day after a person who is out on bail, a thousand dollars bail for trying to kill someone does go through with killing a lot of people. And her first concern is that, gosh, these high bails all over the place. Well, we got to take care of those things. Then we have Joe Biden. This is co-president Joe Biden. Apparently, he simply does not have time to be bothered with this situation. He just doesn't have time to it. So Jen Psaki was asked by one of the people in the press corps if Joe Biden was intending to go to Waukesha, Wisconsin, to meet with the families, just kind of be there on the ground, because obviously it's not every day that six people are killed uh, by someone driving an SUV in, in the United States. So that would be something that you might want to attend. But Jen Psaki basically said, no, uh, we have no immediate plans, but gosh, our, our thoughts are with those people. And, you know, we're in touch with the people on the ground there. And, you know, we're thinking about them and blah, blah, blah. But no, nah, Joe Biden, he's just busy. He's got things he's got to do, which is very, very weird because I'm old enough to remember that he and his co-president Kamala Harris, they basically sprinted to Kenosha to meet with Jacob Blake and his family. You know, you remember Jacob Blake? That was the guy that, you know, allegedly digitally raped 
his his ex baby mama or his baby mama or whatever and then got into a car and was trying to get away with kids that were in the back seat her kids their kids right you know the police told him to stop and instead he reached in his car grabbed a knife before he was shot not killed but before he was shot man they they just were beside themselves they were on the ground almost immediately to talk with those people that's very interesting we'll certainly get into that here more in a second but then you got Ron DeSantis uh sounding off on this as well and guys every time he opens his mouth I seem to like him even more again I hope Trump gets out of his way in 2024 but that's not what today's podcast is so we had this to say I believe this was in the last couple of days quote you never actually hear the discussion about who committed this what was the motivation this guy was a career criminal criminal let out on uh let out on didn't even have basically bails <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to start over on this, guys, because this is basically a transcript of what he said, how he said it. So I'm reading it like it's an article here. But guys, we're doing it live here. We're not just going to keep all of our problems away from you. We're going to show you all of our scars and all. So here we go. Ron DeSantis starting the quote over. You never actually hear the discussion about who committed this. What was the motivation? This guy was a career criminal let out on, didn't even really have bail, basically, should not have even been on the street, had clear anti-white animus. And this was an intentional act. And it seemed like, you know, for corporate press, they're more apt to characterize a parent who goes to the school board meeting to protest bad policies as a domestic terrorist than somebody who intentionally rams an SUV into a crowd of innocent people. Unquote. Boom. Guys, we made it through. I only got one more big quote, big quote I want to read. So let's see if I can get through it. This one is from Trey Gowdy. So he's a former United States congressman from South Carolina. Now he's a host of a show on Fox. He had this to say, quote, and now six body bags later, prosecutors finally concede that bond was too low. We already know that $1,000 was too low when you said it. Now, after six people are dead and dozens more injured, you set the bond at 5 million. So what's the difference now? He was a career criminal before he killed six people at the Christmas parade. We don't need prosecutors to react after there are six bodies laying on the parade route. We need prosecutors and politicians who prioritize public safety beforehand. And there are still those on the left calling for lower bonds. There's always been a battle, a division, if you will, in this country between the people of good conscience and the small segment like the suspect who can't ever seem to follow the law. What's different now is there are politicians openly siding with the criminal element. They can't ever bring themselves to talk about the victims of the crime only the perpetrators of the crime, end quote. So those are some of the better things that I've seen. But guys, the really the main reason why I'm talking about this today, because it's a horrible thing uh, to have to talk about. It's a horrible thing that happened. But I'm talking about this because during this time period, I've seen some of the most egregious examples of mainstream media malfeasance that I've seen in a while. And that's really saying something. Because the mainstream media is basically a joke, a cesspool of lying jerks. That's what they are. But this has been crazy to see. And it's only, we're only about seven, eight days into this whole thing, but it's been very, very egregious. So I'm going to get into this. I want to read a New York Times headline. I think this was also a tweet. So see if you can, I'm going to go to New York Times uh, tweet and headline, CNN and Washington Post. And I'm going to see if you can pull out anything that, that you might uh, notice in these. So here's the one from the New York Times. The grief in Waukesha, Wisconsin has been concentrated on the loss of five adults after an SUV barreled through a Christmas parade on Sunday. But the close knit Milwaukee suburb is also reeling from the toll on children, one of whom died Tuesday. So that's New York Times. Now we have the CNN headline, multiple fatalities after SUV plows through Wisconsin holiday parade. Now, side note, they obviously changed it. It was 100% a Christmas parade, but we can't say the word Christmas because it might offend somebody. So they changed it to holiday parade. But here's the other one from the Washington Post. This was a headline. Here's what we know so far on the sequence of events that led to the Waukesha tragedy caused by an SUV. So obviously, and all of those, they're implying as if an SUV went rogue, turned itself on iRobot style, and just started trying to take out humans, right? 
New York Times, after an SUV barreled, CNN, after an SUV plows, Washington Post, caused by an SUV, right? But to the Washington Post, I, I want to say this as well, and I'll put this in the show notes so you can read the entire article so you know I'm not taking it out of context. I'm going to read you a little segment from the actual article here because it's just egregious. And the, again, this is from the Washington Post here, quote, a quarter mile from the Rotary Building at 4.39 p.m., an officer told a dispatcher a maroon Ford Escape just blew by him at White Rock and Hartwell Avenues, the intersection where barricades blocking traffic to the parade were removed just a minute before, according to the police audio and time codes provided by Broadcastify. A few moments later, the SUV rammed through the parade participants, killing five and injuring more than 40 people, including children, unquote. So the SUV did it, right? So, so that's how the media was describing this entire situation. I mean, guys, just think about this. Imagine describing 9-11 with the headline. Here's what we know so far on the sequence of events that led to the September 11th attacks caused by Boeing 767s. Imagine how ridiculous that would sound. You know, this one's kind of close to home. Imagine describing the Oklahoma City bombing with the headline, multiple fatalities after Ryder truck blows up building in downtown OKC. This is ridiculous. It's almost beyond gaslighting at this point. And guys, the coverage, at least kind of the, the Twittery, you know, headliney coverage, it was so blatantly terrible that even lefties from Hollywood called them out on it. So act, actress Deborah Messing, who is not a conservative by any stretch of the imagination, actually tweeted this. Dear mainstream media, a man intentionally drove his car through a parade, killing six and injuring 50 plus. It was not an accident. Call it by its name. Hashtag Waukesha Massacre. And it was a domestic terrorist attack. Don't minimize, please. You know you're messing up when Deborah Messing's the one calling you out. But also, that wasn't the only wordplay, because obviously they were trying to pretend as, as if an SUV is what did this. But there was some very interesting wordplay. So I want to read a few headlines uh, from this last week in terms of what's going on here. The first is from the AP. So here's the headline. Child is six death in Waukesha parade crash suspect charged. Okay, now here's CBS News happening now. The man accused of deadly Christmas parade crash in Waukesha, Wisconsin, makes his first court appearance. Now Sky News, Waukesha parade crash. Daryl Brooks in court charged with multiple homicides. His child becomes sixth person to die. CNN headline. The suspect in the deadly Waukesha parade crash has been charged with five counts of first degree intentional homicide. And each one of those headlines, those are enormous mainstream media news outlets. They describe this as a crash. Uh, just a crash. Uh, gosh, a just really deadly crash. You know, that this, this vehicle had a mind of its own, crashed into people, and unfortunately six of them died. Right? It was a crash. But now, let's look at those same exact outlets. And let's compare how they describe the Charlottesville attack in 2017. So if you forgot about what, what happened there, that was when a self-described neo-Nazi named James Alex Fields Jr. intentionally drove his car into a crowd of protesters, killing Heather Heyer and injuring dozens more. So let's talk about the AP. We'll just go in the same order. The AP. Woman recalls total terror of Charlottesville car attack. CBS News. Man gets life plus 419 years in deadly Charlottesville car attack. Sky News. Charlottesville car attack. White supremacist who killed protesters jailed for life. CNN. Charlottesville car attacker pleads guilty to 29 hate crimes and avoids the death penalty. So we've gone from a crash, just a crash, just kind of happened, something happened, right, to car attack. That's what happened in 2017. Essentially, the same type of person did the same type of thing to a crowd of innocent people, and yet we describe it so differently. And I don't mean we, I obviously mean the mainstream media. How interesting is that? Uh, why would they describe it so differently? And guys, 
I didn't just cherry pick these. This is the AP, CBS News, Sky News, and CNN. It doesn't get much bigger than those four, right? There are others on that kind of on that level, but th- those are enormous news news outlets. Like, what were they thinking? But guys, the malfeasance doesn't just stop at the headlines and some of the stories. It, it actually goes into the actual reporting here. Because none of the mainstream media outlets that I've seen, I, I will correct the record if I'm wrong, have been reporting that Daryl Brooks is black and that he expressed racist, anti-white, anti-cop sentiments on a regular basis before doing this. No one's really reporting that. It's all of a sudden not interesting to them what the race of the people involved are, which is weird because they're so obsessed with race. And yet now this person's race is just a non-factor. Because this guy, Daryl Brooks on social media, he's he's had a lot of weird things he said on social media, but he said Hitler was right for killing the Jews. He compared cops to the KKK, calling them violent street gangs. He also had this, this is actual quote, so this is going to be really, really hard to read. This was a quote from a tweet that he put out there. So when we start back knocking white people the F out, I ain't want to hear it. The old white people too. Knocked them the F out, period. So he wrote this actually under his rap name, Math Boy Fly. I'm assuming that his math is maybe a little bit better than the spelling. And so uh, he also posted that with a middle finger emoji just to kind of like really stamp it down. And in his rap music, in his rap music that he's made before, he bragged about being a terrorist and a killer in the city. Had you heard any of that? Because I don't really hear anyone talking about this guy and what may have been his motive and some of the things that he was saying. Some of the things that you would hear from your favorite Black Lives Matter activists, right? And so we're sitting here with all that information and gosh darn it, we still don't know the motive. You know, I think it was the, the police chiefs came out almost within 24 hours and said they had ruled out that this was terrorism, right? And and again, none of the mainstream media outlets are reporting this as a domestic terrorist attack. So if this isn't a domestic terrorist attack, what constitutes a domestic terrorist attack? Now, some people might mince words when it comes to the definitions like, okay, this person wasn't wearing a turban screaming Allahu Akbar or something like that. But, you know, at at what point do we call something a domestic terrorist attack? This person intended to kill a whole bunch of a a whole bunch of people. And we can see from his own words, from his own music, from his own social media interactions, that he had a deep hatred for some of the people that he killed, including old white people, which was five out of the six people that he killed. Old white people. Right. But now we need to get into a section where I want to kind of, you know, talk about the fact that why we describe inanimate objects killing people as opposed to people killing people. That's why I'm naming today's episode what I named it, right? So a lot of things go into this, but it really depends on the objects. It really does with these people. Because if you look at it in terms of guns, that's almost always bad, right? Because guns are the enemy. We've got to get guns out of the hands of the populace. And, you know, we basically didn't make them some servient like the people in Australia right? Take their guns away and then basically make it to where they can't fight back, right? Guns are always bad. But now in this situation, we have an SUV that we need to talk about, which can be used for good. You know, if you're driving to a rally or driving to Planned Parenthood or something like that, but you know, they put out a lot of emissions, so they're probably bad, right? But it really depends on what the inanimate object is. So they're, they're describing it. And in some cases, the inanimate object is not really, you know, uh, you don't really need to talk about it in terms of the conversation or in terms of what you're describing, but in some, it's like the center point of what you need to talk about. But also, it depends on the people. It absolutely depends on the people, how you describe these inanimate objects. Because guns in the hands of a white male school shooter, gosh, that's a bad person, and the guns are bad, right? But guns in the hands of black and brown gangbangers that are killing people all over the country, that's just bad guns. Bad guns. 
And if we do start talking about the people, then we talk about the systemic white supremacy that has caused those people to be in such plight that they would have to kill people, have to kill people in order to survive, right? Again, it depends on the people, how we describe different things. Again, depending upon what the gun is and in whose hands it's in, we describe it a different way. But it also depends on the narrative, right? And this is what we've seen, obviously, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. If this were, you know, a white person that was driving through a BLM riot or something like that, then obviously they would have been on the ground within 24 hours. They would have flown in immediately. It would be wall-to-wall news. We'd still be hearing about it from the top of every news station today. But the narrative doesn't really fit that. This is a black guy that seems to have animus towards white people, animus towards cops, animus towards, you know, Jews, animus towards people that basically aren't him, that don't think the way that he does. And that doesn't really fit with the narrative. Okay. Because we're, we're going with the narrative that anyone that's not a cisgendered, straight, Christian, white male is, is a horribly oppressed person. And they're oppressed by people that are straight, cisgendered, white, Christian males. Right. That, that's kind of the narrative that we're going with. So the reason, again, why we're describing these inanimate objects in this situation, we're describing the SUV as opposed to the guy driving the SUV is because the fact that he murdered all these people in cold blood and on purpose just doesn't really fit the narrative. Also, here's the other thing. And this is a, a big issue that they're having. If you describe evil. So if you're a news outlet and you are describing evil, what it is at its core, you have to acknowledge evil. and If you acknowledge evil, you have to deal with it. So just addressing evil creates a problem for a lot of these people. And I'm painting with a broad brush here, but the people that run these mainstream media news organizations, the worldview that they have, that they espouse, can't fathom or deal with evil. They they just don't have the words for it. They don't have the scaffolding underneath it. They, they, They just don't have it. Because in their worldview, again, this is their worldview. When you break it down to its most basic level, people are all just stardust on a planet that is careening through nothingness. And when the lights go out, the lights just go out. It may be tragic for the, these people and their families that are left behind to pick up the pieces of their, their broken family members' lives. But for those people, lights just went out. Lights just went out. Now they're going to be put in the ground. There'll be worm food. No big deal, right? It's just stardust bumping into stardust. Because again, If you posit something as evil, you have to have a good as well. And again, this goes back to something, you know, uh, hard to quote this guy now, but Robbie Zacharias was great when he pointed this out. It's like, if you're going to posit good, you have to deposit evil, right? You have to posit those things at the same time. But at the same time, you have to have a moral law with which to differentiate between good and evil, right? And if you imply a moral law, you have to have a moral law giver. Morality doesn't just show up right? In, in evolution. And so these people that think we're highly evolved chimps that wear pants and talk to each other, these people have to have something that they can lean on. But now when we're getting into something, calling it evil or wrong, you have to ask them, why are you calling this wrong or evil? Like this, again, these people think that we're all chimps, regardless of our race, regardless of how we look, we're all just monkeys. We're chimps, right? And so this was just one chimp killing a bunch of other chimps. That's essentially what this situation is, right? Again, color doesn't matter. Race doesn't matter. None of that matters. We're all part of the human race. We're all just highly evolved monkeys. And that's just what happened. They can't tell us why what he did was wrong. They can't tell us why it was evil. So let's just talk about the SUV. It was the SUV that did it, right? It's an important thing to think about and distinguish when we're talking about this. But all of this kind of leads to the big question. 
right? And this is the big question that apparently not very many people are thinking through or even asking. And it's why did Daryl Brooks do this? You know, what was the motive? Now, a, a Milwaukee Black Lives Matter activist named Vaughn May said this on Facebook, and, and they may absolutely be right. They said this, quote, we may have to wait to see what they say about why this happened, but it sounds possible that the revolution has started in Wisconsin. It started with this Christmas parade, unquote. Now, I don't want to misconstrue the the thoughts and, and words of Vaughn Mays because I don't know this person. I don't have the entire context of what they said, so I don't know if they're advocating for the start of the revolution, if they're part of BLM, this is a Marxist organization that is for the complete overthrow of the United States system. So I would assume that they are for this violent revolution and that it started in the Christmas parade. But is that potentially something? Could he have been triggered by the fact that Kyle Rittenhouse was rightfully, uh, you know, exonerated of murder? It, could that have been the thing? Because Kenosha and uh, Waukesha are not that far away from one another, Right. So could he have been paying attention and seeing this as just another example of systemic oppression of black people by white people? Potentially, even though the Kyle Rittenhouse case, as we've talked about at Nazim at this point, you've heard at Nazim at this point, had nothing to do with race. It was a white guy that shot three other white people, right? And so is that potentially it? Maybe. I think that could, could have a very good, that could be a very good possibility that this person maybe was trying to start some sort of revolution to wake people up. But whenever I really think about this, when I try to think about this as soberly as I possibly can, this is what I come down to in terms of motivation as to why I think Daryl Brooks did this. The first thing is just sheer pure evil. Because I have a Christian worldview, so I can describe good and evil because I know where it comes from. And I know how to differentiate between the two. This just seems like pure evil. Outright. Again, this guy was not evading arrest. This guy was not doing something else. This guy didn't have, you know, something go wrong with the vehicle to where he couldn't stop it. He veered into this parade and he intended to kill those people with his car. Because again, everyone likes to talk about the tools of evil, right? People like to talk about guns and the tools of evil and whatever. The tools change, but evil remains. Because every year in this country, people talk about, oh, AR-15, no one needs that. And mass murders and all that, we got to take it away from people. Every single year in this country, in the United States, more people are killed with fists than are killed with rifles. More people are killed with feet. They're stomped to death than are killed with rifles. More people are killed with blunt objects than they are killed with rifles. More people are killed with sharp objects like knives as opposed to being killed by rifles. But we don't talk about those other things as categorically evil, right? We talk about them as, as tools or things that can be used for good, whereas guns are just, you know, it's not discernible, right? It's just evil outright. But I think that this man is evil. I think this man has evil inside him. And that's perfectly obvious. And the next thing is mental illness, which it's hard to kind of look at someone from afar and look at video of someone talking or, you know, look at their social media posts and just determine outright without actually examining the person or talking to them yourself that this person has mental illness. But would it shock anybody that this guy had schizophrenic tendencies? If he had paranoia, if he had some sort of psychosis in, in his life, if he had some sort of sociopathic tendencies in his life, again, for two plus decades, this guy was doing violent, horrible crimes. And a lot of those directly to people, right? So again, that goes back to the evil thing, but could there be a mental Ill illness here? I think that that's certainly possible, something that should be considered, but also hatred of white people. That seems pretty clear. Again, the lyrical content in his own music, his own social media posts, this guy had a tremendous distrust and hatred for white people. And then what does he go and do? He kills a bunch of white people. He goes to a place where there weren't a whole lot of people that look like him, apparently. 
And he just decided he's going to drive right through the middle of them. And he makes almost this veiled threat that they want to knock the F out, like knock these white people the F out, these, especially the old ones. And then again, like I said earlier, he killed mainly old people and now children. So I think that those are really good things to think about in terms of what this guy's motive is. But now we really need to look at what we're supposed to do with this Waukesha situation. Because with a lot of things in the news cycle, especially things like this that are hard to get through and hard to really fathom how someone could do such a thing, it's just hard to know how to filter this in and how to use it. So let's see what we can do to try to get down to bedrock, see how I can help you guys. So the first thing is we should seek truth over narrative. Okay? I'm going to talk way about this way more in a, in a later podcast, but truth over narrative. Because right now, a lot of people are just talking about narrative. They're defending the narrative. Or they're not talking about this case because it doesn't fit their narrative. I went into grave detail on that earlier. For all of us, we need to be seeking truth. So don't go by what someone tells you. Someone just tells you, hey, you know, this guy, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't a black supremacist or he wasn't a BLM guy. He wasn't any of those things. This is just a guy that had a bad day and he took it out on, you know, a street full of people. Don't listen to that. We need to listen for the truth. Because again, for the most part, the mainstream media is not going to worry about this case anymore. Okay. They're not going to worry about it when he gets his, you know, sixth charge for murder. They're not going to worry about it when it goes to trial. They're not going to worry about any of those things. Black Lives Matter is not going to be outside the courtroom asking for his, his innocence and his release and all those different things. We're basically not going to hear about it anymore. Okay. But we should continue to seek truth because you should still be following this. You know, the, the local media there in Waukesha, I bet you they're going to be following it. I think it'd be behoove you to keep paying attention to this. Okay. Another way that we can kind of deal with this whole situation is for us as voters, which everyone listening to this, if you are of age, you definitely need to be voting because elections have consequences. We should elect leaders who are tough on crime and tough on criminals. Okay. Look at what has happened in our country since the beginning of the defund the police movement. A lot of these cities have already, not even a year into this whole, we're going to defund the police and we're going to have, you know, these, these entities that instead of sending cops out, we're going to send out these social workers, right? Like that could possibly go wrong. These people, these communities are turning around almost immediately because they're seeing what happens when you defund police. Okay. It's not just about buying new uniforms and buying new badges and, and, you know, repainting cop cars. All right. That's not what this is about. This is about hiring people and keeping people on the force in order to protect the local populace. Okay. It's been a massive, massive issue for all these local populations. They're still having a tremendous amount of crime. Crime has surged in almost every single major city and a lot of suburban cities here in the United States because we don't have people that are in office that are tough on crime and criminals. We have this super relaxed attitude towards crimes. And I'm sure a lot of you have seen what's going on right now in California, where you have all these kind of smash and grab robberies. You're having groups of of tens or even dozens of, of people that are going around and systematically breaking into stores, you know, some high-end stores and some just regular stores, stealing stuff and rolling because they know that the cops aren't going to chase them down and catch them. And they know if they get arrested that they're going to be let out the same day and they're not going to be charged. All the files or all the charges will be dropped eventually. They're not even going to file charges even if they do, right? That's a problem when we have these people in office that are not going to be tough on crime and criminals. And kind of in that same vein, we should elect leaders that do not, do not have a progressive view of bail and incarceration or the death penalty. I talked a lot about the death penalty last week. You should check that episode out. But again, I'm going to go back to the Milwaukee County DA, John Chisholm. So this is the guy that oversees the department that gave Daryl Brooks, you know, who's a career violent thug felon, a $1,000 bail after driving a, a woman over, driving over a woman with his car, he had this to say in 2007. Okay, so to kind of give you an idea of what this guy thinks, I'm going to read his direct quote here. So it's, quote, 
Is there going to be an individual I divert or I put in a treatment program who's going to go out and kill somebody? You bet. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed to happen. It does not invalidate the overall approach, unquote. So you have a guy like George Soros, which I I can't remember if he actually helped fund uh, this DA, uh, John Chisholm's uh, campaign to get into office. It wouldn't surprise me. But you have people that are putting these DAs in place that think like this guy. He literally just kind of casually talked about how he knew that his ideology was going to lead to murder. And he was like, hey, but it doesn't invalidate the overall approach, right? Because this is a guy that's worried about equity, right? Again, it's not equality anymore. It's about equity. And that is equality of outcome. And so if you look at a population and you look at disparate, you know, actions and outcomes, right? Oh, we only have this much of a percentage of black people in the United States, but this many black people are incarcerated. This is the percentage of black people incarcerated in the United States. Well, there's an inequity there. So what are we going to do? We're going to start looking at people based on their race when they commit a crime, not that they've committed the crime, right? Because I would say that there aren't an incredibly high percentage of people that are in prison that didn't do anything wrong. I'm assuming a lot of these people broke the law and knew they were breaking the law. But this is someone that thinks that there's a systemic oppression in the United States of people that look a certain way. They have a certain amount of melanin in their skin. And what's he going to do to counteract that? He's going to let violent felons like Daryl Brooks out on bail. Again, 20 plus years of a rap sheet, had just tried to murder somebody with his car and was unsuccessful, thank God. And then he gets $1,000 bail. He gets out and less than a week later, he goes and kills six people. And this guy's okay with it. So we should make sure that we are supporting district attorneys and that we're paying attention in our local communities to make sure people like him aren't in control because he's going to let Daryl Brooks's out over and over and over. As soon as all this media dies down, he's going to go back to doing the exact same thing that he, that he's done this entire time. Cause he's a zealot. He's an ideologue. Do you want that happening in your community? I certainly don't want that for my community. Not, not by any stretch of the imagination. Okay. I mean, look at what's happened in streets like St. Louis and Baltimore and Chicago and Philadelphia, everywhere where these progressive laws about incarceration and bail and all these different things have happened. Murder and violent crime has skyrocketed in all these places. And while at the same time, we're removing police officers from these places. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And the last thing I want to get into here as it pertains to this is we should not live in fear, but we should always keep our heads on a swivel. Okay, there's a book that's on our book list called Left of Bang. Bang is essentially the thing that happens. So bang is the car drives through the parade and kills people, right? Right, because it's the car that did it, right? It wasn't Daryl Brooks. But it's, you know, the bomb goes off or, or the shooting starts. That's bang, right? But there's all these things that are left of bang that help people to avoid being in the middle of these situations, right? So it's being aware. You know, as soon as you get out of your car, you do a quick scan of the parking lot as you're walking into the building. You're not like, okay, what's going to pop out and get me? You're not like paranoid about it. You're just aware. You've got your head on a swivel, right? You're in church and someone just doesn't look like they're comfortable there. They're darting their eyes a whole bunch. They're wearing big clothing. It kind of looks like something's underneath the clothing. You know, a lot of those things that have happened that we've seen in church shootings were people that were obviously not supposed to be there. And people just didn't really notice or they did notice or they, and they didn't act. They didn't say anything. And so uh, that's one thing that, you know, when my dad and I talk, one of the things he always says whenever we sign off the phone, he's like, all right, man, keep your head on a swivel, right? He's just telling me to, to be careful, to watch out. Again, we should not be living in fear, right? We shouldn't be looking down every single street waiting for the SUV driven by the maniac to come barreling through. But it is one of those things that we should be paying attention to the world around us because there are wolves 
everywhere. Now, I've talked about the wolf, sheep, and the sheepdog thing a lot. You've got to be the sheepdog in all these situations. If you're with your family, you don't need to have your head in your phone. You don't need to be completely distracted with the things that you want to do. In that moment when you're in public, you need to be aware of what's going on around you. You might end up saving your life, the lives of the people you love, and the lives of people you've never even met before. All these people that have the Omaga Day, the image of God written on them, right? Keep your heads on a swivel. Now, I want to go back to the scripture from the beginning, to Job 4.8. It's, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. So in this particular scripture, this is, uh, you know, one of Job's friends. So this is a part of the book of Job where his friends are talking to him because Job's been complaining about his plight and the things going on in his life. And this friend that says this is Eliphaz. And his main theme of his response to Job is to ask the question, can mortal man be in the right before God? That's kind of his main theme. Okay. Now we know, we know as Christians that the mortal man cannot be in the right before God unless they are covered by the blood of Jesus. We know that that's the gospel. That's the good news. There's no one that can be good enough before the eyes of a righteous and just God without the blood of Jesus. That's why the sacrifice even happened. But Daryl Brooks literally plowed, right? Again, it was the word plow that really stuck out to me when I read this. Again, as I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. He literally plowed evil and sowed trouble. And for that trouble, he deserves one thing, death. Death. Again, go back and listen to the podcast I did last week about the death penalty, right? Spent a lot of time trying to bring that content and kind of coalesce it together for you guys. This guy deserves to die. So people that are anti-death penalty, I want you to look at this situation and tell me, give me a very good reason why Daryl Brooks should still be alive. Again, he needs to go through the, the justice system. He needs to, you know, have his trial and go before, you know, a jury of his peers and a judge of the law. And he needs to kind of go through that entire process. But after that's all done, he should be convicted and he should be killed for this. Now, my hope and my prayer for Daryl Brooks is that he sees the tremendous error and evil of his ways. And beyond that, I hope he sees himself as an irredeemable sinner, as we all are, mind you. Not all of us are murderous, killing thugs, but we are all people that are in need of a savior, someone that can intercede for us because none of us is righteous, right? So I pray that for him, but this guy should meet a very quick and swift end when all this is over. All right, guys, before we let you go, we are going to do a quick resilience boost at Undaunted Life. Our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So obviously what I talked about earlier, I talked about the Washington Post article. It's called How the Event Unfolded at Waukesha Parade. So guys, if you want to click on this, because I know most of you don't even want to click on it because it says Washington Post, I just want you to read through it because they mentioned this guy's name. But again, the entire time you're reading this article, it's as if an SUV is what committed this horrible, horrible crime. So I wanted you to make sure that you can see that for yourself. All right, guys, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive review. If you want to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok and like us on Facebook. And you can check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. We also want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is their song, Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness 
Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah.